God, I think so often on what I heard a preacher say so many years ago that you are the only one worthy of our worship. That Lucifer, in, in the way that you created him, he was created to cover the throne of God. Not to sit on it, but to cover it with worship. That every instrument stringed, every horn was in his very being. He just simply could express worship from his body the way that he was created. But he wasn't satisfied. He wasn't satisfied to worship the only one worthy of worship. He wanted it for himself. And when he was cast out of heaven, Lord, when you created mankind, you created them, Lord, that they might worship you. God, not from a standpoint of being egotistical, but from the standpoint of making a connection of relationship with you. That through our worship and our adoration and our love for you, God, that's how you bless us. The greatest blessing is not the things that we have, but your presence, Lord God, in the midst of the praises of your people. All that you would speak through your word, Lord God, to us, that you chose to inhabit the praises of your people. So God, when we praise you, you come with your presence. When you're unified, God, we come together unified to worship the only one worthy of worship. That God, your presence comes among us. I pray that each of us would see, God, how much we're a part of coming together to make a place for you to inhabit by your spirit. Across this room, Lord God, even those that might be watching online this morning, Father, in their homes, God, your presence would come in each individual, Lord, in every marriage, in every family, God, in every home. God, when we go into our workplaces and our schools, Father, that your presence would go with us. Just as Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with me, I don't want to go. God, may we have that kind of declaration. If your presence does not go with us, Lord God, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to do anything without your presence, Lord God, in my life. So, Lord, this morning, I ask for all of us in this room to experience your presence, Lord God, in greater ways. I'm convinced that you want, Lord God, to work, to move, Lord God, in your church more than we want it. But over that passion and that hunger and that thirst connect, as Jesus said, they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. So God, increase our hunger, increase our thirst for you, Lord God. Don't let us stop just because we experience you one moment, Lord God, I pray. That if anything, Lord God, it builds an appetite in us for you. And I pray this morning, Lord God, as I share your word, I pray to find the mark in every heart in this room. Again, those watching online, God, I pray that your presence would invade their home and your word would speak to us. I know that, Lord, within the 
context of all that I'll share this morning that you have the, the ability as the good shepherd. The anointing and the power is the good shepherd. God, in moments, to leave the 90 and 9 even in this room and go after one. And we're all that one, even though we're in the 90 and 9, Lord God, we're all that one in some capacity in our life. And we need to hear your spirit speak by your word so that, Lord, we're close to the shepherd. And all so much more, Lord God, as we see the world shifting and changing all around us, it's happened so many times before our time. But God, there's never been a time for us to be closer to our Savior Jesus, closer to the Good Shepherd, and to hear His voice as His sheep. And now, right now in our life, I pray we hear the voice of the Shepherd speak to us. In Jesus' mighty and His precious name, and all God's people said this morning, Amen and amen, you may be seated. <clears throat> well, Pastor Warren said that I would talk about baptism just a little bit before I go into my message. Let me, um, <clears throat> let me share that uh, it is probably the most important step that you can take uh, when you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know that you've accepted what he did on the cross, paid the price that you could not pay. Amen? We couldn't pay the price for our sin. But Jesus' sacrifice paid the price for sin once and for all. You know, you think about the Old Testament, that once a year you had the blood of bulls and goats and sheep uh, that they would sacrifice and it, it, would, it would atone for sin for one year. Basically the Bible says this, that it covered sin, right? Um, love covers the multitude of sin. The Bible teaches us that, that when we show love, we can actually have the power to cover the multitude of sin. How many know that only Jesus has the power? His blood is the only power there is to not cover sin, but to wash sin away. You know, though your sins be as scarlet, right? Though they be the color of blood, right? He'll make you white as snow with the scarlet of his shed blood. That His shed blood washes your sins away. Amen? And when you think about that washing away, baptism is that symbolism of uh, the outward profession of an inward faith. I believe baptism is actually the greatest way to tell our story to others. Is that they see us actually model after Jesus to uh, walk in baptism, to lay down, right, in that water, to be buried in that water, right? We immerse because we bury the old self and we leave the old self in that water and come up and to live in the new and living way. It's a symbolism of the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to die to my old self and I'm going to rise to walk in that new person that Christ has created me to be. Amen? Because you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. We'll see a little bit more about that here today. But water baptism is a great outward profession. I've seen so many times when people get baptized in water, someone that's in that place where I'm not sure that I want to follow Christ, see somebody get baptized, and there's a miracle in the midst of that that causes that person to say, you know what, I want to I do that. 
And, and what that is is that, that ignites that faith in there. There's a miracle in baptism. Uh, again, while it's a symbolism, there is a work that the Lord does in us because it is our first step of obedience after uh, uh, having faith in Jesus Christ is to follow him in baptism. How many know that he's the one that commanded to do that, by the way? Right? When he uh, commissioned his church, he commissioned his disciples in Matthew uh, 28, uh, 19 through 20, uh, what he does is he says, go into all the world and make disciples. Say make. Don't beg. Make disciples. How do you make a disciple? Teaching them to obey all that he's commanded to do. And what has he commanded us to do? Anyone? What's his command? Yeah, to love God and to love others, right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So there's this cyclic... Um, uh, if you will, process, I would say this, this work of the Holy Spirit uh, that causes the work of Christ in us to reproduce in others that exact same thing, faith. It ignites faith in others to see us take a step of faith. Amen? Uh, so when you think about it, uh, as we follow his commands to love on the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then to love our neighbors as ourselves, why is that so key? Because... Loving God is, is probably not the hardest thing to do, really. You see everything he's done for you. But loving other people around you, it, it gets kind of hard. Right? You got some folks that you might be harboring some feelings toward. Uh, you know, that's where rubber meets the road, where it comes to walking out the love of Christ in your life, is to extend forgiveness to them. I didn't say permission. I said I didn't say permission. I said forgiveness. You know, the disciples asked Jesus, they said, uh, how many times should I forgive my brother if he sins against me? Let's do it this way. How many times should I forgive a person, brothers or sisters in Christ? How many times should I forgive if they sin against me? And Jesus said, 70 times 7. That is actually, can anybody do math very well? 490 times. Now here's the, here's the kicker to that, right? In a day... In a day, 490 times in a day, I'll just be straightforward with you. I have never had a person sin against me 490 times in one day. So ultimately it comes down to, Jesus is saying, until love is perfected in you, so that it may be perfected in them. Because I will promise you this, um, Jesus' forgiveness has no bounds. It is not bound. It has been released in this earth. For God so loved the world. He doesn't love worldliness. He loved the world. He loved the people within the world, his creation, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That is an invitation. It's a constant, uh, never-ending, open invitation to every person to follow Christ, to have faith in Jesus Christ and his work. We are fast approaching Easter Sunday. Pastor Warren will be sharing here on Easter Sunday, and I'm excited about the message that he'll be sharing. But we decided to do this series on four cups to build towards Easter that each week we're talking about one of the cups that we receive, one of the promises of God that we receive. And in the Old Testament, there is a type and shadow. Say type shadow 
that we get uh, a reflection of what is to come in Christ by reading those stories in the Old Testament. That in the Old Testament, Moses was a type of the Christ. You think about it, all the babies were being put to death. I mentioned that last week, uh, or the week before last, I mentioned that. And that all the babies were being put to death, that basically there was a deliverer that was going to rise among the children of Israel. Moses was that deliverer. And interesting enough, you know, what happens is, is uh, his, his sister, right, takes him out, and it's a basket of reeds, and it's woven together so it can float down the Nile. And wouldn't you know, it just so happens that Pharaoh's daughter happens to be bathing in the Nile River that day, while this basket come, comes floating with this little baby. Now, if you, if you understand anything, that they worship the Nile, and so ultimately, because they worship the Nile River, to, to her, it's like, oh, look what the gods brought me. And ultimately, it was God himself, right, through, through that process that delivers Moses out of the jaws of death so that the deliverer can rise among the children of Israel. And where does he rise? Right in Pharaoh's house. Raised in Pharaoh's house. Now, you got, you got to know... Um, you got to know that Pharaoh, was, he was considered a prince in Egypt. Did you know that? You know, any of you that ever saw the cartoon Prince of Egypt, you know, with your kids, understand that there is an element. He was a prince in Egypt. He was raised that way. So I got a picture. Imagine, this is, it, it, this is something for me. Sometimes I read the stories of the Bible and I'm thinking, God, what were you doing in heaven as you're watching this? That here's the enemy of the children of Israel, the enemy of your people, and yet you do something in a fashion and in a way that causes them to actually nurture and bring up, come on, the very deliverance that they're trying to get rid of, come on. That's the sovereignty of God. You, can, you cannot interfere with the sovereignty of God, right? The king is in the hand of the Lord, and he'll, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he'll turn it whichever way he desires. That's exactly what he did to Pharaoh. In Moses, when, once Moses had grown up, he actually hardens Pharaoh's heart. Part of that was is that he didn't want his heart to soften because then the, the children of Israel remained slaves in Egypt. If anything, his heart had to harden so that the children of Israel would go out in the wilderness and worship the one true God rather than being under the oppression of the Egyptians that they cried out day and night to God to be delivered from. Come on, somebody. Day and night they're crying out to be delivered. Day and night they're crying out for these four cups of promise that we read about in Exodus that we see the ultimate um, uh, delivery of, come on, by the deliverer in the New Testament, which is Jesus. But I want to I show you something. You might get stressed out about your enemies, people that are against you, people that are working against what you know God has promised you. And I just want you to know this. God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you in the midst of your situation. He remembers you. He, 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 he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. And oftentimes we can get into that place of thinking God's forgotten us. God, he's left me. And the reality is he has not left you. He's working his plan out. Trust him and you're going to see something today. Trust him and move forward. Don't look back but keep pressing forward. Everything may not go the way you think it should or want it to. But God is working on your behalf. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? Because 
I'm telling you right now, if you've got Pharaoh that's going to kill all the babies off, and he's bouncing little baby Moses on his knee, raising the promise, the, the promise deliverer to the children of Israel, and he's bouncing him on his knee, raising him as, as a prince in Egypt. I just got to think God's like, <laughs> that's right, yeah. He needs to learn the things you know so that he'll be able to lead my people. Because my people are going to have a mindset of slavery. They're going to have a mindset where they think of themselves as lesser. And I'm going to need somebody that can help them understand how to think about themselves as higher. Not higher than the one that's higher than I am, but higher. That you've been created with great purpose and destiny in Christ Jesus. Amen. But you got to think, the Bible says that God sits in the heavens and laughs at his enemies. And if you're the friend of God, if you're the child of God, if you have people that are enemies to you, understand the demonic, um, uh, the demonic plan, the devil's plan, which he does work through people, by the way. Did you know that? He uses people. God uses people. The devil does nothing but counterfeits what God does. So the devil will strive to use people, and the reality is this, is that if God sits in the heavens and laughs at his enemies, it says that God's got a pretty good sense of humor when things are not going as we think they ought. Right? You think about the, the, the people or the, the enemy, the devil, sets himself against God, and he actually thinks that he's accomplishing something. He actually thinks that he's bringing about uh, his purpose and his will. And he might get moments where we give him place. He has no power. Jesus stripped him of his power. The only way that the enemy can work, the devil can work, is where people give him place. Y'all hearing me here? But you got you to gotta look at it from this standpoint, right? Had he known what he was doing, the Bible says... When he hung Jesus on the cross, the Bible says this, he would not have done it. Had he known what he was doing, he would not have done it. And what that tells me is, is that uh, God is the divine orchestrator. And even though we may make choices to go to the left and the right, right? The Bible tells us not to go to the left or the right, to keep, but to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, Right? And if we keep our eyes on Jesus and we're following Jesus, what happens is, is he's making us and transforming us into the very image of Jesus Christ, God's son. That's what the Bible says, that we are being changed and transformed into the likeness and the very image of God's own son. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. I wonder, do you really believe that this morning, that God is working to change you to be like Christ. Because if you do, if you do, and these promises are to you, and you should each and every day rise knowing that God has made that promise. Let me, let me submit it to you this way when I say that if you really do, because I have to ask myself that same question, do I really believe this? Is that, do, do I struggle with, you know, our first week, what we talked about was the cup of salvation or the cup of sanctification, do, do I really believe that God has called me and set me apart for his purposes? Watch, let me, let me show you the challenge. Do I really believe that? Because if I believe that, then do I get distracted by other things? 
Angie, do I get distracted by other things sometimes? And, and, and it doesn't look sanctified, does it? Right? Do I get distracted in traffic sometimes? <laughs> now, we all have parts of us that still need to be sanctified, set apart, right? Ready to do the will of the Lord. But I got a destination to get to. I got to get to the airport by a certain time. Grandma decides to drive alongside a semi, two-lane highway, going 65 miles an hour in a 75 mile an hour, which you know means 85, right? No. I retract that statement. No, it doesn't mean that. Now, a highway patrolman said, if you're not going more than 10 miles an hour, we won't pull you over. So I test that once in a while, especially if I'm driving through Nebraska or South Dakota. You ever been there? Just got to tell you, got to get through that place. I mean, it's beautiful, but there's nothing in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you know, and, and I, while I joke about that, it's not a joke. I think about it, actually. Even as I share that, which is probably the most common thing I share, that God is still working on me, and here's the reality. The reason why God is still working on me in that area is because I'm not obedient. <laughs> you hearing me now. <laughs> Do you believe these things? If we believe these things, then we start to understand that, yes, there is a, an element of humor to it. And the only thing that allows us to have that humor and not take ourselves so serious is the love of God. It's the love of God. I'm not making light of it. it shouldn't break laws. But it's, it's things that I start to let God actually put his finger on and bring <laughs> a deeper conviction yeah, there's an element of humor to it. But disobedience that isn't put in check, and that's often why I'll confess those things because I've just driven from somewhere, not this morning, but sometime over the last couple of weeks. I've driven somewhere, and the whole time I'm like, man, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be speeding. I shouldn't cut around that person like that. God, I'm getting too honest with you. But I know this, that when the Lord sits down on me and says, you know, honestly, it's just a little bit of disobedience leads to disobedience, leads to disobedience, and so on. And then i got to ask myself, when I sit and I prepare to come and talk to you, am I willing to truly be transparent? Am I willing to be honest? And I'll hit another area because each time I have to stand before you and confess my sin, <laughs> come on, it is a sin, right? Do we see it that serious? Hmm. Listen to this as we reflect on the cup of deliverance this morning, the cup of freedom. Exodus 6, 6 through 7, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke. Say out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves. Say out from being slaves. From being slaves to them, and I will redeem you. Say, I will redeem you. With an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment, I will take you as my own people. Say, I'll take you as my own people. Those are the four promises. And I will be your God, then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. God wants to free us. He wants us to experience the fullness of his freedom, the fullness of his deliverance in our life.
Next week, I'll talk about the cup of redemption or restoration. Pastor Warren will bring a message on the cup of praise or fulfillment. Those are the four promises. Sanctification, deliverance, redemption, praise, salvation, freedom, restoration, and fulfillment. But reflecting on the cup of freedom... There's moments in our life where we really have to see like the sons of Issachar. The times that we live in and what we ought to do. The times we live in and what we ought to do. Make no mistake about it. Hard times have come and gone. And hard times will come and go. And I'm going to say something that, that I believe uh, it's not doom and gloom, and it's not to be negative, but I think people sense that there's a shifting going on, and not only in our country, but around the world. And I'm not even referring, you know, primarily to politics. I'm saying that there are Bible, Bible prophecies right now that are being fulfilled that have not been fulfilled before. No, I'm not standing here and saying to you that Jesus is coming back tomorrow. You better get right today. But let me say, Jesus may come back tomorrow. You better get right today. <laughs> Do you understand the difference in that statement? I don't know when he's coming back. But I do know this. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart while the Holy Spirit, in the day of provocation, when the Holy Spirit provokes you, you sense that God is provoking you to follow him more. And even though you may think that some of those sins, you know, well, that's just a little sin, let me say this, that there's never been a time to trim your wick so cleanly, to fill your lamp full of oil, and to keep it burning. Because while I don't know that moment or that time, I know that in times, it will be in times like these. When, when, when you're seeing the signs in the heavens and you're seeing signs in the earth, when you see mankind moving to a place where they probably could actually see the Antichrist emerge and have control of all people technology and right how many of you would say that you have a smartphone give me an amen if you have a smartphone that's pretty much everybody in the room maybe not everybody but most and if some of you young kids don't have them yet let me say that your parents are keeping you safe not that you can't have them because there's all kinds of ways that they can watch you but i'm just going to say to you that there's all kinds of ways that you can get into trouble too but never before has there been the ability to control mankind. Look at, look at what COVID did. If you didn't think that that was a test of, of how people would get in line and just do what they're told to do, you're sadly mistaken. Those things are tested from time to time to see where we are as a society. And I would say that that test revealed that most people, as long as you scare them enough, I'm not saying it wasn't real. I get that it was real. But we're finding out all kinds of things now after the fact that it, it, it may not be the best thing to necessarily follow everything you're told to do. I'm not talking anarchy. Hear me here. I am not talking anarchy. What I'm talking is wisdom. Because at what point will it be, hey, just take this mark, this chip, you know? And I don't know what it'll look like, but I will tell you this, that we had better have our wicks trimmed and our lamps full of oil so that we have an ability to discern that moment when, when we become one of the Antichrists. Because understand, meaning that when the Antichrist is revealed, there will be a, a clear moment. 
And so you know that the blood that will be shed in the last days, the Bible says will be up to the bridle of the horse. Now, again, these are visions that were had, and there's comparisons in them that, that we may not understand in this time. The point is, is one-third of the earth's life will be taken. One-third. Think about that for a second. If we don't see those kind of things as very serious, especially when you see other Bible prophecies happening, it's kind of like if this has happened and this has happened and this has happened and this has happened, if the times of Moses this happened and, you know, historically we see these things proven over and over, then to dismiss the things that the Bible says are coming when so many prophecies have been fulfilled could I say that that would be ignorance and the Bible says that my people perish for a lack of knowledge? And that we don't want to be ignorant of the times that we live in. Be like the sons of Issachar who knew the times they lived in and they knew what to do so that you can experience the promises of God. No matter what is going on in the world, you are still experiencing what's going on in heaven. Can anybody say amen to that? I want to experience what God has in the midst of everything else that's going on. Moses got to experience deliverance from from death to be a deliverer because what because mama and sister were obedient to send him down the Nile River and watch this even though the daughter of Pharaoh didn't realize that she was doing exactly what God intended to be done she draws Moses out of the water and, and Pharaoh obviously didn't know who Moses really was because had he known what would have happened he would have followed through on that same decree but instead Pharaoh raising bumping the little baby on his knee, raising him as a prince of Egypt and teaching him the things he'd need to know how to do to lead. Come on, millions of Jews out into the wilderness. And by the way, they were a stiff-necked, stubborn bunch. Did you know that? (laughs) Kind of like us with the Lord. (laughs) We can be stiff-necked and stubborn. want to do what we want to do. We become accustomed to the slavery. We become accustomed to the things that we were taught through sin when Jesus wants to experience deliverance. Amen? And so let's, let's go a little deeper into this. In Exodus 14, 10 through 18, here's what it says. When Pharaoh drew near the people of Israel, he lifted up, or excuse me, of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said, Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Come on, somebody. That we can stay slaves. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have have, uh, only to be silent. Think about that for a second. You have only to be silent. Don't say something. Come on, don't blaspheme the Lord. You you were brought out of Egypt into the wilderness to worship the true and living God, your God. Don't say something blasphemous against God that he brought us out here to kill us when he brought you out here to deliver you and to give you freedom. Amen? 
The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Say forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the heart of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get the, uh, excuse me, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Now understand, Pharaoh in this story, you got Moses as a type of the Christ, you got Pharaoh as a type of the Antichrist, and then what you have is you have God in all of his glory and splendor, Amen. And so ultimately in this, know that, know that no matter what happens in this world, God, right, wants you to move forward. To be silent, don't complain against the Lord, but rather seek his counsel, pray, ask him to intervene, and I want you to know that he'll be there for you. And, he, and, he, and it may get to the point of what it was like for the children of Israel here, because understand that they come out of Egypt, Pharaoh's let them go, all the plagues hit Egypt, and Pharaoh's heart would harden, next plague, next plague, next plague, the firstborn of every person. Remember, they put the blood over the doorpost. Remember that? On the, on the, on the uh, uprights and on the, on the uh, header of the door, they put the blood on that. Why? Because the angel of death would pass over wherever the blood was. And know this, that death, for those who come to Christ, who have received him, whose sins have been washed away by his blood, they're covered with the blood of Christ, and therefore death cannot touch you. Pastor, you're saying that I'm going to live forever? That's exactly what I'm saying. If you accept Christ as your Savior, you will live forever. But, 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 but this body's I'm going to die. The Bible says this, that death has lost its sting to the believer. Yes. Death, where is your sting, is what it says. Why? Because Jesus took the keys of hell and death. And what happens when you pass, and, and all you've got to do is talk to somebody who's worked around folks to get older or has been around death and you see the difference between a person that's in Christ passing away and a person that's not in Christ passing away and let me tell you watching the person who's not in Christ pass away is a scary thing because they sense the dark they sense the demonic that they are being drugged and this is the way they'll explain that a lot of times that they're being drugged to hell you have people who've had near-death experiences where they, they experience like they're, they're over the fires of hell and they, and they come back and what happens is they turn to Christ. Why? Because they realize in the midst of that, I, I do not want to go to hell. Now, we don't tend to preach about hell a lot in the church in America anymore. And the reason why is because you don't feel your church preaching that stuff, see? No, but I'll guarantee you when people understand that there's a difference between hell and heaven, the devil is not ruling hell with a pitchfork and you go there and you're going to be in a, a never-ending party the way some people want to lay that out. You all hear where I'm coming from. Hell is not the, the, the Hollywood version of hell. I just got to tell you. The devil's not in charge there. It is actually a manifestation of God's wrath and judgment. Never-ending wrath and judgment against sin. Now think about it. His son was hung on a cross and hell's this manifestation of God's wrath and judgment. Eternal separation from God. And yet his son dies on the cross so that we 
can inherit the kingdom of God as children of God. Amen? So here they are, and the same as it is for us, and we can get so wrapped up in this world and so scared that what we do is we start to complain against the Lord. And it's ever so important because for the children of Israel, the mountains on the right and the left, and Pharaoh's army coming up from behind in the Red Sea right in front of them. And what does God tell Moses to do? Stretch out his staff. And I want you to know, I want you to know that this is God for us. The Bible says that he stretched out his arm into the earth. And let me tell you what that is. That is Jesus Christ, his son, coming into the earth. And he parts the way for us. That before, the Bible says he sets before us an open door. Enter in by that open door. He stretches, he opens a way. Jesus is the truth, the way, and the life. And if you follow him, I'm telling you, you go across on dry ground and all your enemies, and I'm not talking about people, I'm talking about all of hell that is set to come against you as a child of God will be collapsed. The same as Pharaoh's army. And God will get all the glory in your life for it when you're obedient to him, to trust him. And sometimes... Just go sit silently before the Lord and ponder on, these are my problems, but God, you're much greater than my problems. Keep thinking over and over how much greater and then start thinking about the scriptures and what they say about who God is in your life. And, and I'll guarantee you this, that even though the problem may still be there, you'll start to see it is very, very small in comparison to God. Amen? So here, here's what's going on. The children of Israel, see, They've been trained to think like slaves. They've been trained to think that the, the way that they think. And in a sense, they have to be retrained. Now, we know that that first generation goes into the wilderness, and they actually did die in the wilderness. But they died as a result of disobedience, of not exercising faith to trust that what God promised he would do, he would do. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a generation that dies in disobedience to the Lord. I am in a, in a place in my life right now. I've experienced God in amazing ways. And there's times where I felt like it was just dry, desert land that I'm walking through. Can I get a witness in the house of the Lord? But I find that, you know what, my hunger for God has a lot to do with that. They that hunger and thirst for righteousness. They, he is righteousness. When I hunger and thirst for God, he fills me up. But when I get distracted with other things and I lose track of how amazing he is, it starts to feel dry and parched around me. I've been in some of the worst seasons of my life, but at my greatest peace. And I've been in some of the best seasons of my life and with the least amount of peace. Why is that? Because the tendency is to forget the Lord when things are comfortable. And they become uncomfortable and then we turn back to the Lord and we start to really see that like, man, this is really what it's all about. And then comfort starts to set in. See, we're living in a generation of comfort. Comfort always leads to complacency and complacency to compromise. We're living in a compromised generation. And that's not a down on young people. That's a, that is a perspective of the whole generation, not, well, this young generation. It's all this generation. Everybody alive right now, where is our pursuit of Christ? And I want to tell you the times have come. The time has come. For us to turn to the Lord. We pray that prayer. If my people will humble themselves and pray. And turn from their wicked ways. Come on. 
then I will hear from heaven. I'll come and heal their land, right? But the turn from our wicked ways, and I'm not talking about you necessarily in the church, if the shoe fits, if the shoe fits, but I'm talking about in our nation, have you ever seen so many satanic rituals all over the place from the Super Bowl, these concerts, the devil being worshipped. I don't know if you know that it was uh, in, um, uh, was it Belize or, or it was, it's where a flood just came through recently and just, just devastated the area. I think it was Belize. I might be wrong about that, but I think it was. Here's the thing, they had a whole ritual where they were worshiping Satan in the streets. A parade, a full-on parade, worshiping Satan. And even having like a person playing Jesus where they're beating him and the devil's standing over him in a dominant position and, and, and literally mocking Jesus in the streets. Mocking the story of Christ in the streets while they have this big float of a devil sitting back, propped back, Right? Like he's ruling everything. And I think it was a day or two days later, boom, that flood goes through that whole area. Make no mistake about it, God is still in control of the elements. And if you don't think that God judges the earth, you are so wrong about that. We live in a dispensation of grace that Christ died on the cross. And by the way, people can't know unless we tell them how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news that we would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we'd have such deep conviction about the goodness of God through his son Jesus Christ towards mankind, that actually they might be rescued as they come to faith in, in their own heart to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They too won't be swept in the flood, not necessarily a physical flood, but in the flood that comes to wash away the unbeliever. Like I said, it's not popular today to talk about these things. But I think it may be why we in America have lost our way where it comes to people turning to Christ. Rather than worldliness dominating everything, that there would be a heart for God and a love for God that is predominant in our society. And that has gone by the wayside, saints. Here's the deal. Here's what Moses had to help the children of Israel do. He had to help them deal with the Egypt in them. We have to deal with the Egypt in ourselves. Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He doesn't just give you desire. He gives you power to do the things that are pleasing to him. So what do we need to do here? Or what do we experience? in that freedom, is victory over sin. First, it's victory over sin, Romans 7, 21 through 25. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Right? It's like, I know, and I need to listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Sit behind Grandma. Father, I just bless Grandma. Help her get to her destiny. Come on, men. I, I, some of you ladies in here, too, got a lead foot. 
Father, bless Grandma today. I mean, she's probably scared to death out on this highway with all these cars zipping around. You know, come on, right? Now, now I'm referring to my sin. What's yours? Right? Don't say, you guys are staring me awful self-righteous this morning. I know I've confessed a lot. What's yours? Hmm. See, it's weird enough to think that something like that that would be so acceptable starts to actually mess with me on the inside and make me feel like, God, I'm disobedient to you when I do those things. But it says here that he has given me power to overcome that. Hmm. Let me read on. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, salvation is what he's come to bring. Deliverance and freedom in our life. The second thing that I get to experience under this is healing from my wounds. I get to experience the healing of my wounds. James five fifteen through 16 says, Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins. You ready for it? Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So there's that first one with God. And here's that second one, how we work it out. Be honest about it. I'm being honest with you today about an area that I know that I got to bring to the obedience of Christ because it's not honoring of God. And while, again, we can laugh at it, the reality is, is that the humor in it, there's a reality of disobedience in it that I want to accept and I want to change. And now doing that in front of you, every one of you go, hey, pastor, how are you doing with your driving? Think about that. Every single one of you could walk up to me on a Sunday and say, how are you doing with your driving? And then I'd have a choice for that to go even further, right, and lie to you. Now I'm in a completely different sin. Come on, you hear me? Or say, I'm not doing well. Would you pray for me right now? <laughs> or actually, I've been doing a lot better since I confessed it to others. The Lord is healing me in that area. Amen? And trust me, Angie will be reminding me of this, I'm sure. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. See, let me say this for you. That's your small groups or your mentoring relationships in your life. You have other people, <clears throat> excuse me, you have other people in your life that you can be transparent and honest with. And then what will happen is, hey, how are you doing in that area? Why? Because they want to see you follow the Lord with all your mind or love the Lord with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. Number three, authority over the enemy. This gives you authority over the enemy. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Not your mighty power, his mighty power. Put on, the whole, or put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of, uns, of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This is, uh, by the way, this is where the learning groups, if you will, 
going deeper into God's Word, uh, discipleship, the foundation series that, that we talk about, the men's group, the women's group. You might be going bowling, but there's certainly a whole lot of life that can be shared and an openness that can be expressed while you're having some fun together. It's like, could you be praying for me in this area that you actually are interacting with others that you invite into your life to help you go deeper? So we don't just sing songs like deep cries out to deep, right? If you think about it, there, there's that... Um, the deeper we go in Christ, the more desire there is for Christ in our life. And let me say there's no end to the deepness of Christ. Right? Paul the Apostle said that I might know him. This is Jesus, that I might know him. The height, the depth, and the breadth of Christ. And all I know is there's more of God than I've ever experienced. And he wants me to experience him more and more every single day. But if I ever draw back then what happens is, is that there, there comes that, right, that complacent, I'm satisfied. My cup's full. Remember the psalmist said, my cup runneth over. See, if I'm happy when my cup's full, then it never gets to the place of where it's spilling over into the people's lives that are around me. I'm just happy to be full. And how many of you know that if you, reach, if you reach your plateau or if you reach your limit, where do you go from there? You either press in and go further or what will you do? You'll start, to, you'll start to draw back. It's just the nature of, of, of things. And so, if anything, we need to develop that ability to press in, to pursue God, so that we can find these three areas of our life. We can experience that deliverance and freedom of God. Now, how do you find this freedom? The, the application of this, how do you take those steps? Remember, we're talking about experiencing freedom in our life, the deliverance from the destructive nature of sin, right? Of the, the ways of this world and, and of the enemy in our life. When we start to fear, come on, remember, they feared, and because they feared, they wanted to go back, not forwards. When they wanted to go back, right? Pharaoh's behind them, mountains on this side, mountains on that side, Red Sea in front. And God says, do what? Tell them to go forward. Have a, have a peace about you, a silence about you, if you will. You know what? I don't have to say much to God when I have a peace, knowing that God is going to work on my, on my behalf. Amen? So move forward. What does God say about your future is what you've got to ask, the questions you have to ask. Not... What if this situation happens, or what if that happens, or what if that happens, but rather, what is the future that God has for you, amen? So freedom is never going back. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I spent a few days in California, and it rained every day, and that moisture was amazing, but it's pretty dry here. So not going back, but going forward. Listen to what Romans 8, 1 through 2. Where it comes to applying God's freedom in your life, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Why, why does Paul the Apostle take the time to say to us that there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus? We can see that a lot of times. Well, well if I accept Jesus, there's no condemnation. No, it's so that you know that even when you fall short, remember what Paul said there a few minutes ago, is that when I want to do right, I find that there's something at work within me that actually wants to push me to do the wrong thing. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, right? That, that the righteousness of God has worked in us by the power of God working in us. And that I've got to recognize that, that even when I fall short, I can go to God and say, hey God, would you please help me? 
I say this all the time. A righteous person, right, falls seven times. But what do they do? They get back up. They get back up. Don't stop getting up. Don't come under condemnation because you fall short and you're like, wow, man, I really thought I could do this. That's the problem. The day you take your eyes off Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, you're going to the left and you're going to the right. You got to keep your eyes fixed on him so that you can keep moving forward. Amen. Listen to this. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. He has come in to free you from the power of sin. If you feel the power of sin compelling you, then you might need to call upon Jesus and just ask him, right? To help you, right, be freed from those things in your life. Now, it's as simple as that, and we'll just use Peter on this one. He decides to take a step out of the boat onto the water. If you think it's a miracle to walk on water, let me say it is a greater miracle to live your life without sin. Come on, somebody. And here's Peter sinking because he loses faith. And what does he do while he's sinking? He cries out for Jesus to help him. And I will tell you that if you're sinking in your faith, if you fall short, cry out to Jesus, he might look at you and say, oh, you a little faith. <laughs> That's what he said to Peter. Because when faith is perfected in you, when sin comes knocking at your door, guess what? You turn to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, help me not to be tempted with this, not help me to be delivered. Now, again, deliverance is a, is a gift of God. It's a promise of God. But I want you to know that there's a moment where all of a sudden it shifts to where temptation comes, and you're like, Jesus, help me to, to not give in to that, right? Rather than Jesus, help me out of this, amen? But aren't you thankful that he's helped in both ways. He's help on this side and he's help on that side, but I want to live on that side of it, not this side of it. Amen? So Romans 5, uh, 8, 5 through 6 says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Pray. Spend time in prayer. Have conversations with God. It's like, well, I don't really know how to talk to God. It's okay. He knows how to talk to you. And you know, it's like raising my kids. When they started out, they didn't know how to talk. Did I talk to them? You bet you I did. Some of my funnest times when I think about talking to my kids, it was before they actually knew how to talk. I'm just, I, I know you're kind of getting it. it. It's not a diss on my children. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying there. Some of God's best times with us. I've seen people that don't know how to pray right, don't know how to pray in proper theology, and God answered their prayer, and I'm like, scratch my head, what's going on there? I think sometimes we can get right up here, and we're not right here. But there's something about the, that, that babe in Christ that they may not know how to pray a, a perfect theological prayer. They, they don't have this principle right or that principle right. But you know what? They love God with all their heart. And then, come on, they got to renew their mind, but their heart is connecting with God in a way that he blesses them. And, and i got to tell you, the older I've uh, gotten 
uh, in, in walking with God, the more clear I become about theology, I've got to protect my heart to stay like a child. Because such is the kingdom of heaven. And it can be, oh, I know how this works and how this works and how that works. Has any other saint, raise your hand if you've been saved longer than five years. Most of us in the room. Let me say this. Has anybody else ever battled with that pharisaical mindset? It's got to be this way and it's got to be this way and it's got to be this way. And I'm not saying that we should have proper theology because we should. But I think that we fail to win the lost because ultimately we want them to be where we are, not meet Jesus where they're at. And we've got to get back to helping share Christ in such a way that people can come to the Lord and experience the same freedom and deliverance that we have. So let's look at uh, a few things here. How to find that freedom again. Relationships are key. Relationship with God. Relationship with God. This is where we find the cup. This is where you find that cup of deliverance, the cup of freedom. Romans 8, 38 through 39. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above, in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you as long as you stay focused on Christ Jesus your Lord. And all the theology, everything that we could learn, just keep one thing straight in your life. I love him because he first loved me. And he loved me enough to lay his life down for me. So, Father, may I never lose my first love. And if I do, may the Holy Spirit remind me that I've lost my first love and I need to get back to my first love. Who is that? Christ. Because he loved me enough to give his life for me. If you can keep that straight, then everything else that builds in your life concerning your relationship with God will grow right. But if you don't keep that right, if there's ever a moment where you think it's because I've done this or because I've done that, then all of a sudden grace is no longer at work. You've given back, you've given way to the law again. And when you open the law up in your life, the Bible says that law gives birth to sin. Because it's birth, that's birthed in pride, see? To look at what I've done. Look how I've achieved this or I've achieved that in my walk with God. Now anything that I've gained in my relationship with God is because of one. And his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Number two, second step you can take in applying it. Relationship with others. Relationship with others. This is where we learn best how to drink the cup. I can receive the cup from Christ, but how I best learn to drink from that cup of freedom and deliverance is with others. James 5.16 Therefore confess your sins again to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I believe that people find God's forgiveness and they'll find God's forgiveness over and over again because if he's the one that tells you to forgive your brother, to get, forgive your sister, to forgive others 490 times in one day, let me just say, he lives out what he's asking us to do. 
So when you go to him and you like, God, would you forgive me for that? Now, now, how many of you have ever seen Larry the Cable Guy? Now, he says it in a little bit of a mocking sense, right? God, forgive me for that right there. I'm not going to stop what I'm doing, but forgive me for that. Now, God, forgive me for that and help me not to do that again is the response we should have, right? Again, there, there's humor because we all get it, right? It's like that song that goes, you know, um, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray while you're driving down the road 55 miles an hour that your wheels fall off your car. I don't know if that's how we're supposed to pray for people. I think ultimately what it comes down to is I can only live that out when I have other people saying, hey, you know, um, Angie's sitting in the passenger side. Hey, didn't you say, like, that you're not going to get frustrated with somebody that's driving slower and you see where I'm coming from? Didn't you say that, it, that if somebody talks bad about you that you're not going to harbor any bitterness toward them or unforgiveness? That you're going to release them? Didn't you say that if, if, if uh, somebody betrayed you that you want to be the same as Christ because how many times have you betrayed him? Come on. You know, inside of every one of us is, is a, we're a lot like the disciples. Right? And I would say every one of us in this room have had our Judas moments. We probably had our Peter moments. You know that Peter could open his mouth and speak before he thought. Anybody ever do that? Thomas? I won't believe unless I see it for myself. Come on. James and John? Right? We're following the Lord. We're passionate about the Lord. Man, those people don't want to follow Jesus. You want us to call fire down on them? Burn them up now, Lord. Forget hell. Just do it right here. I don't have to go through all of them, but I think you get where I'm coming from. Is that we all have our moments. The question is, do we weigh our life? If you want to compare to somebody, don't compare to everybody else around you. Compare it to Jesus. Because I know this. Every waking moment of my life, there is a thought that stays in there. Am I living the way that Christ would live in this situation? Can I say I am both ashamed? I, I know we're not supposed to be ashamed, but I know that when I don't think the thoughts that Jesus would think towards others, it's, it's shame to me. I, he paid such a price for me. How could I ever harbor things towards somebody because we're human, he gets it, he understands, and 490 times. But let me say that if you're harboring stuff and you just can't get free, you just can't quite heal of it, find some other people in your life that you can talk to about it who will help you to see through that the way to be healed. Not just forgiven by the Lord and continuing to do it, but rather finding deliverance and finding freedom so that when you're coming back to the Lord, it's not always, God, would you forgive me for that again? But rather, God, thank you for freeing me of that. Thank you for putting people in my life who love you and have experienced freedom and know how to reach back and help me to experience that freedom. God, so that, my, so that my cup just doesn't fill up, but my cup can overflow and I can help somebody else find freedom in your life, in their life. And that brings me to my final point to apply it. Number three, a desire to reach others and invite them to relationship to relationship with God and, and with yourself. To have a brotherly and sisterly love that operates to where others are attracted and want to be a part of that and want to receive that same deliverance and freedom in their life. Amen.
This is where we share the cup. And we find the cup, we, we discover how to drink from the cup, and then we want to share the cup with somebody else. Revelation 22 and 17, and I close with this scripture. Come, say the Spirit and the bride. The Holy Spirit, and we the bride of Christ, say come. Whoever hears, echo, come. Is anyone thirsty? Right? They that hunger and thirst, right? Is anyone thirsty? Come. All who come and drink, drink freely from the water of life. And Jesus is that living water, right? The woman at the well. He asked for a drink of, of, of water. And she, he has nothing to pull water from the well. She points this out to him. And he says, if you knew the gift of God... You'd have given him a drink and he'd have given you to drink from the water where you'd never thirst again. Stand to your feet with me this morning if you would. Here's what I want to do right where you're at. I believe as I was working on this part of being transparent with you is to say that none of us have arrived. Paul the Apostle himself, listen to this very, very, very clearly. Here's Paul the Apostle. He starts off, remember he's a Pharisee and he's killing Christians. Concerning being zealous for the Lord, he was persecuting Christians. But he has this encounter with Christ that transforms his life. And he starts off, and this is kind of his mindset, right? Yea, doubtless, I'm an apostle. Then he moves to this point in his life that, that as he grows in Christ, greater and greater humility takes hold of him. And he, and he refers to himself later as, he starts with, yea, doubtless I'm an apostle. And he moves to, I'm the least among the apostles. And as he's gone this Christian walk, as he's following Christ, if anything, it's this walk down, wow, up. Listen, sanctification, come on. Last week, sanctification goes up anointing comes down anointing breaks the yoke and it lifts the heavy burden in your life but i want you to know as you honor and you worship the lord what he sends down is his anointing to break those yokes and lift the burdens to deliver us and free us from those things those sins and the weights that beset us and keep us from following christ wholeheartedly and paul's in this walk see and he says i'm least among the apostles then he moves to i'm a least i'm least among the saints and then when he finally is ready to finish his life, he knows, he says this, that it's all coming to an end. There's a crown laid up for me. But this is what he says about himself. I'm the chief among sinners. He was more than two-thirds of the New Testament. And we read his writings. If we read the Bible, the New Testament, we're reading the writings of Paul. And this is somebody that when they came to the end of it all, and I got to tell you, the older I get, the, it's like I'm excited about following Christ and becoming like him but the closer I get to him, the more I realize I need him. And without him, there's no way I'll be like him. And that's what Paul the Apostle was really saying is, is that don't assume yourself anything. Why? Because it's all a work of God's grace in our life. And if I could encourage you with anything this morning, I'd ask you right now with me, not obedient, to surrender, to lift your hands to heaven. Just lift your hands to heaven and surrender to God. And this is what I want us to do. 
I don't know what yours is. Mine might be driving too fast, holding bitterness or unforgiveness towards somebody that, that did me wrong. I don't know what yours is, but I'm quite certain that God and you know what is bothering you on the inside. Something that becomes that dam that keeps the presence of God from coming is harboring something. Remember, the, the, if you come to the altar and you make your offering, you have odd against your brother or your sister. That may be husbands and wives. That may be parents and children. That may be, when I say that, I don't mean just the young people in this room today. I'm talking about maybe it's your parents who are, you know, older adults right now. And there's these things, these broken relationships, and those things reside I'm not telling you you can go back and everything's going to be peachy. But I am saying that you can be delivered and you can be free of those things in Christ Jesus by simply releasing them to God and forgiving them for whatever happened. That's the prayer I want to pray with you because here's what I know. If we don't forgive, we're not forgiven. And I want you to be a church, a people that experiences God's forgiveness on a level that most never come to understand. Because when you're walking in that kind of forgiveness... Saints, you've experienced deliverance and freedom like no other. So hands to heaven right now. You know what it is for you. And I'm going to ask God to do a miracle in your life. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, I stand with your people, Lord God, those that are in this room and watching online. Father, those that may hear this message later on as it's posted, and there are things that are harbored, unforgiveness, People that are held on to in the wrong way. And God, right now, we as a people stand before you. And just like Jesus forgives us, Lord, I pray that you, by your anointing, as we set ourselves apart, and we say, God, you do your work, we release them in Jesus' name. Decades old bitterness, and strongholds, Lord God, right now, in Jesus' name, we release them. God, because we want to walk in obedience with you. 490 times in one day, God, let it be today that we release it all in Jesus' name. God, as the Bible says, love keeps no record of wrongs, and we want your love to have its perfect work in us. We release all those things today in Jesus' name. God, for husbands and wives, age-old arguments, things that are brought up, God, I pray that those records of wrong melt away today in this room. That no more bringing up the past, but looking forward, moving forward peacefully, quietly, and letting you work in their life. Children who have ought against their parents. Uh, anger. Father, in, in just disobedience right now in Jesus' name, I break that. God, there would be harmony in the home. Both, both uh, the, uh, the immediate home, Lord God, and the extended home, Lord God, and family. I pray your peace, God, your presence, your righteousness, your truth, your love over our families. I pray, Lord, that there would be miracles that would begin to take place where reconciliation, Lord God, and restoration, Lord God, comes in Jesus' name. God, I know this. You want to work in your church and in your people. 
And Father, today we invite you to work greater than you did yesterday. And tomorrow, would you work greater than you do today? Now bless them in the name of Jesus, Father. May the Lord bless them and keep them. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon them. And may he give them peace as they go today in Jesus' name. And everyone in the house of the Lord this morning said, Amen. Now listen, God is doing something in you and, you know, over the next weeks and months ahead, keep this in front of you. That this is a promise of God to you, a cup of freedom, a cup of deliverance. Don't go back, go forward. And I'm asking you as you move forward, would you share your story? Share it with people that you're in relationship with, but would you share with us as well? We want to know how we can pray for you. And if you feel like the devil kind of comes in on that because you're trying to move the right way, you feel like he's on this side, he's on that side, he's coming up, you know, his army's coming up behind you, I'm just going to say, don't fear. Move forward, and you need others that are going to encourage you to keep moving forward. Amen? God bless you as you go today. Don't forget baptism next week. If you want to get baptized, please let one of our staff members know.